The word of the Lord to us this morning says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it stands. They stand this day according to your ordinances. For all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me. I shall diligently consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection. Your commandment is exceedingly broad. Lord, I pray that we would see your word for what it is, a word that never ends, a word that does not fail, a word that can be trusted throughout this time on earth and into eternity. Or give us hope in that which lasts forever and not the things that this world props up as truth. Or give our hearts a delight in you and all that you are. Father, I pray this new year that we would be a people of your word, people who are drawn to your word, people who are immersed in your word, that your word becomes a greater delight for each and every one of us. I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful in teaching your word to our children and grandchildren, and Lord, that you would give us faithfulness to teach our families your word as men and as wives as well, Lord, I just pray that as a church, your word would be a staple of all that we say and do. Lord, fill us afresh with your spirit this morning. Cause your spirit to move in our midst. Open our eyes to hear and know the truth that we have in your word. Father, give me clarity of speech, precision in what I say, Lord, that our ears would hear your words, not just the words of man, Lord. Make your word clear to us this morning and help our children to be behave so that we can hear. Lord, cause them to hear your words this morning and be begin to question in their hearts what is true that they would begin to have their hearts awakened to the truth of your word. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. There's many of us who make commitments. We say, yeah, we'll do that this weekend, or um, next time I come, we'll do that. Or... I'll be back in an hour, and you know it takes an hour to get to where you're going, possibly. Or maybe you truly think you can get back in an hour. Or maybe you're like some who are so good at what you do that you know what you can do. I was watching a documentary on a 25-year-old young man from Canada, and he was one of the best climbers the world has ever seen. In the sense that 
he was fearless. He was not afraid to do things that no one had ever done before. He was a young man who had a large array of skills. He could not only climb dry rock, he could climb ice, and he could climb mountains that have never been climbed in the winter because he had a skill in both ice climbing and rock, dry rock climbing. And so, as a 25-year-old man, he had already amassed more peaks than most any other rock climber had ever done before. And that is pretty interesting. One day he convinced another climber to hike with him or to climb a mountain with him up in Alaska. And he and this other climber, they made it to the top and they he sent messages to his girlfriend and, and the other guy sent a, a video message to his wife and a couple others and said, we'll see you soon. Unfortunately, that was the last time anyone heard from either of them. Though they were some of the best rock climbers in the world, they could not control and fulfill the words that they spoke that day. Because on their way back down, an avalanche took both of their lives. And it, the, the weather was so bad when, they, when that happened that they couldn't get there for four days. And the only evidence that people knew that they were there was a rope that had been frozen into the glacier. And you could see it in this crevice between it. So sadly, the bodies of those men are buried in the middle of a glacier in Alaska. But I know that sounds kind of morbid. Why would you start the New Year's on such a note? But it just proves that as men, it's hard for us to trust completely the word of another man. Why is that? Because we do not control all things. We don't have the power to guarantee that we can bring about an action that we can fulfill what we say we're going to do. And I want to put forth this morning, as the psalmist does, the only one whose words are unfailing. And so this morning's message is titled, titled, Unfailing Words. When we think of something that does not fail, we think of something that never has an end, right? Because if it if it begins to fail, then it has an end. So we have a, a dual meaning here. Not just is, are these words unfailing, they are unending. And we see that starting in verse 89 when the psalmist says, Forever, or unto eternity, is the literal translation. So forever, this is not just a partial, this is a statement about something that will never have an end. As those who have seen Toy Story, to infinity and beyond. That is kind of, if you wanted to translate it exactly, it's a pretty good translation. So There will never be a day 
There will never be a time or timelessness in which this will not be true that he's about to say. This is really important for us to to realize that what the psalmist is about to say is something that will never, ever change. It says, Forever, O Lord, Your Word, Your Word is settled in heaven. And that's quite a strong statement, right? He's saying, this word does not have a beginning, nor does it have an end. And if it doesn't have a beginning or end, what does that also tell us? That it is ever faithful. It is unfailing. So these words of God, he's making this statement, and I believe that the rest of this section, the... Lamed section, which is the Hebrew letter that is that starts every one of these verses, he is saying, this is the statement I'm going to argue for. God's Word does not end. And what is it that it says? He says, it is fixed. This word translated fixed is the word that is often used to describe someone standing. Almost 90% of the time in the Old Testament, this word is translated, stand. So the, the Word of God is forever standing where? In heaven. It is forever settled. It is forever fixed. It is forever set up in heaven. Why would that matter, the location? So we're seeing that it's forever but it's also locational. He could have just said, forever, O Lord, is your, your word is settled, right? But why did he give it a location? In heaven. Because in heaven, there's something that we know to be true. What did Jesus say about treasure? And where we place it. He said, if you put it in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy. So, when God's word is not only fixed forever, but it's fixed in heaven, then we know that it's not a word that will decay over time. It will not be destroyed by the elements. This word is forever true. And because of that, it is a treasure that cannot decay. And therefore, something we must all delight in above all that this world settles as valuable, right? Because our world sets many things before us and says, these are valuable. But where are those things set? They're set on this earth. And before long, this earth will decay on our way to New York, we saw many beautiful houses. But guess what? There were also many horrendous houses. The difference between the beautiful houses and the not-so-beautiful 
was the fact that someone had maintained those things. But the houses that were in disrepair and falling apart were houses that had not been maintained. Joseph and I, Gideon, we know about a house like that. That house had holes in the roof and lots of many other issues because that person had great plans but never followed through with those plans. But this is different. God has placed a treasure in heaven that is settled forever and will not decay. This should create joy in our hearts to know that we know something that will not decay, that we can firmly fix as an anchor in our souls. That if we lean on that word, there will never come a day when that word will fail. It may look like it's failing. It may seem like the circumstances are against it. It may seem like the waves that are crashing up against our lives are going to wipe the word away. But remember, our word, the word of God, has been settled in heaven. It's not just settled in earth. It is settled in a place where it cannot suffer decay. So no matter what circumstances of this earth come against the word, which we should be settled on as well, we can be sure that we will not suffer destruction. Right? Jesus said about building our our life on the rock. What is our foundation? Has the word of God been settled in us? God has already said it's settled in heaven. But the question is, this morning, is it settled in us? Do we believe that God's word is what he says it is? Do we believe that God will do what he promised in his word? If this is not settled in our hearts, we will not see its success in our lives. Until we have determined that we will fix our hands upon the Word of God and trust Him no matter what circumstances come, then we are saying, we don't believe what you said, God. We don't believe what the psalmist says here in verse 89. Maybe it's forever, but I'm not sure that the winds and waves and the torments and the the earthquakes and the eruptions and all that's going on in our world. I'm not just talking about physical phenomenon. I'm talking about the worries and cares of this life. But if we are not fixed on the Word as God has fixed it in heaven, then when the tide comes in, we'll be washed away. When the storm surges come, will be washed away. So you say, well, how can I know this, David? How, how is it possible that I can come to an under, understanding that this is true? 
the psalmist continues. He continues to make bold statements about the truthfulness and the faithfulness of God's word. Listen to what he says in verse 90. He says, your faithfulness continues throughout all generation. This translation is exact. If you want to look at it like he says, from generation to generation is your faithfulness. You have established the earth and it has stood. God's faithfulness does not become unfaithful because of the changing of the guard. Right? Just because a new generation has come in and begin to trust the Word doesn't make it useless. God's Word has been true for every generation. From generation to generation. In the, in the psalmist, he actually uses from a generation to a generation. It is a direct, direct transference. It doesn't stop with one generation. It has been transferred. That's why we're here today, because the Word of God has been transferred from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. What was true for Generation X will be true for Generation Z and whatever other ways they use to define a generation. You want to define a generation as hipsters, it's true for them too, if they trust the Word. However we define a generation, God's Word will constantly be true. Because it's not based on Like he's already said, it's not based on what we esteem it as, right? Because what are things that constantly change? So, for example, computer companies. You know, for a long time, IBM was the gold standard of computers. Mainly because they had the best computers. And while they're still a a big company, they aren't the gold standard anymore. It changed to Dell, and then and then at one point HP might have actually been a decent computer. I won't talk about my opinion about of them anymore. But um, and now many people think Apple or, or name it. Maybe it's the operating system you need to have. But whether you choose Mac or or a Microsoft, or Linux, or whatever other computer programming, that will never continue to be true. There will always be change. You can trust a computer now that in 10 years will be really a bad computer, possibly. Why? Because the, the value is not fixed. It is not always constant. But God is. God is never changing. And His Word is the same. God's faithfulness continues despite the transition of responsibility and the change of a nation. Right? 
Just because responsibility is shifting from one generation to the next, whether slowly or quickly or however it happens, we can be assured that no matter what generation we live in, God's Word is still true. It's not antiquated. It's not hopeless. Isn't that how the world looks at God's Word? Oh, that's what was good for my grandparents, but that that just doesn't work anymore. Because they have settled in their hearts that there's some other truth that is more important. And they'll say it's no truth. Well, that's making a proclamation of some kind of truth, right? No matter what we say, there's always an absolute in our lives, despite what people who argue otherwise will say. So how can the psalmist say such things? How can he tell us that the Word of God is settled in heaven forever and that God's faithfulness continues from one generation to the next and to the next and to the next? Well, if he were in a courtroom, Exhibit A is the second half of verse 90. This is his strongest well, one of his strongest proofs. He starts, he says in verse 90, You established the earth and it's still here. It stands. It stood. It, it obeyed you. So what is the psalmist's strongest argument for the faithfulness of God? The everlasting unfailing Word of God? Creation. This is why as Christians we cannot begin to accept the ways of this world. What they are teaching is truth about creation. This is why I will never agree with evolution because if God did not establish the earth, then I might as well take this Bible and throw it out because the first book is trash. And then Jesus must have been lying because he believed that God created the heavens and the earth. And if he was the all-knowing God, then if we throw away earth as a creation of God, we throw away our trust in the Word of God. God established the earth. He settled it. He created it. And it survived until the time of David. Every major war and catastrophe an event leading up to that and since. And this, for me, is major proof that humanity is not the controlling factor as to the state of the earth. Not that we shouldn't be good stewards. God sovereignly created the earth and has been faithful for a myriad and myriad of generations, and his never decaying word will not end. It will not fail. This is the biggest issue that I have with a lot of what we are hearing about 
global warming or climate change. I remember in the 80s, I know I was a baby, but there's one thing I do remember in the late 80s and early 90s, everyone was talking about global cooling, a new global ice age. How far removed are we? I'm not going to tell you because then you'll know my age. But um, And now we're talking about, oh, the world is heating up way too fast. You know, historical heights. I'm like, how long have you been measuring these things? Anyways, beyond that. But the whole point is, their belief is that man can control the climate that God has created for the earth. They aren't trusting that God is in control. As Christians, we should be good stewards. We shouldn't purposely pollute. We shouldn't treat the earth as though it's a waste bin. Littering and all those things. But... Beyond that, we must trust that God who created the earth knows what's going on. We don't have to be afraid of all these things that the alarmists are saying. If the earth heats up, God has a purpose. He's not surprised. If we think we can transform God's earth by our own, this is humanistic thinking. This is putting God underneath us. We're saying, God, you're not sovereign anymore, right? Because... We believe in evolution. We just happen to happen. This is where all this this view is coming from. It is anti-God. Now, I know some would disagree with me. However, I believe that's the issue. That The issue is not, does the earth warm and cool? I do believe that happens. We've seen that through generations. It, the question is, who is in control. Those who are pushing all this are saying that we are in control. That is garbage. I'm sorry. That is completely false. We are not in control. God is. We need to submit ourselves to God and His Word and stop relying on this world to tell us what is truth. That doesn't mean we shouldn't explore ways to be better stewards. But the question is, do we think we can transform God's earth or are we called to be good stewards of it? The Bible says we're to steward it, not to transform what God has created. Sin has negatively affected our world. That's obvious. But God is not lost and unable to control the earth that He created. And He has through generations, made that true. It's funny, the way he says it, he says, you establish the earth and it stands. It, it has settled because it obeys you. The earth obeys you. You know, all the laws of physics and... Why do you think those are there? Because the earth... And all that God has made obeys Him. Unfortunately, there is one of His creations that choose otherwise. And that's us. And sin. The reason that we can trust God's Word is that God created the world we live in. 
His Word is true. God's Word cannot decay because God Himself does not decay. And if He doesn't decay, His Word by nature of being His words cannot decay either. And remember, who was the Word made flesh? Jesus Christ. And what happened to Him? Did He decay in the grave? Well, some say yes. But if we're Christians, we believe He came back to life. He did not decay because He was fully truth. He was fully righteous. He was the Word of God made flesh. He was a living Word. The psalmist goes on to continue this argument for the truthfulness, faithfulness, the forever fixed in heaven word. He says, To they stand this day according to your ordinances. Who are they? The earth. And the faithfulness of God, I believe. They stand this day according to your ordinances. Or this word, ordinances, can be uh, translated decrees. You decreed it into being. You know all these laws of nature? They weren't created by Isaac Newton or other uh, intellectuals. They were observing the created order, and they realized that God had set in place decrees that we can observe. And you know what miracles are? They're events that happen outside of God's created decree. They are not normal. They are abnormal. They're out. They're supernatural. They're not natural. There are times when God moves supernaturally in our earth. That doesn't mean that God set all these laws and decrees in order and then He's stepping back and saying, Let's see what happens. You know, he's not a clockmaker like that. He's intimately acting in our world. And that's why you hear about strange things, miracles happening all over the world. Because God is constantly at work. He has not left his creation and just sitting back to see what happens. He is constantly working. But the reason that the earth stands is because God decreed what he did because of his declaration. What are declarations? They're words. They're God's words. If the earth began to fail, then we would say, well, the word was useless. But if the earth is continuing to function properly, then we know that God's words have continued to function. While we were in, at Isaac's in Connecticut, we, there was a beach really close, and so we got to go. And it was amazing. It just never amazes me how much water changes when the tide comes up and goes down. Like how much elevation changes. Like just so incredible to think, well, somewhere else on the earth, the water's lower and it's higher here. I just... Mind-boggling how God created our earth. 
It's just, just one of those things. The tides obey Him. The waves obey Him. Right? Jesus was in the midst of the storm. He said, peace be still. And what happened? The whole thing stopped. Why? Because Jesus is God of the flesh. He had authority over His creation. He still does. He hasn't lost it. I think it's interesting here. He says, they stand this day. He's saying, look, the reason we're even here today, the reason that the earth stands even today is because God said it. Not just yesterday or the distant past, but until this very day. And we, as we read it today, can say, you know what, David? It didn't stop in your day. It didn't stop a hundred years after your day. A thousand years after day, your day. No, it is continuing today on this earth. So then you begin to question, hopefully. You say, okay, David, you say this, but why are his decrees, why, why do God's decrees and ordinances work? Why, why, do they, why are they effective? Why, why do all the things that compromise, comprises, sorry, the earth continue, continue, uh, continue to do what God says? Well, he answers that in the second half. He says, for all things are your servants. Everything that God has created on this earth are his servants. That's a pretty mighty statement but that's why it works because the wind and the waves obey him the ground the plants the trees the universe obeys and worships him they are his servants yet oftentimes we aren't so faithful like we are created in his image. So there's something in us that replicates the image of God. And yet we don't. So why forgive me for asking more questions. Why would they be his servants anyways? Ever thought about that? Because he created them with the very word of his mouth. Those words, the, the ones we talked about in verse 89, that are forever settled and cannot fail, ever. The very same words. So, I would say, after reading verses 90 and 91, that... If God is not the creator of all things, then we cannot trust that His words are truly settled forever. Because how else would He be able to guarantee His word unless He's sovereign over it all? How could He be powerful enough to bring to pass all that He promises? 
You know, that, that climber I talked about, he was doing things that even some of the best free climbers were amazed at to the point where they could not find words to describe how incredibly talented this young man was. Even probably the most famous one I'd ever heard of. I'd never heard of this, this young guy. But even some of the most famous climbers in the world were saying, this guy is one of the most talented guys I've ever seen. But even that young man who had more talent in him than many of the greatest climbers of all time could not prevent the mountain from having an avalanche on his way down. But God is fully in control. He knew when he sent Christ what would happen. It looked like he lost control, right? I'm sure the devil thought he had won. But then when Jesus rose from the dead, it proved that Jesus was not only true to his word, but Jesus had faithfully followed God's word to the T, and that he would not perish because he delighted in God's word. He lived according to God's word. positive responses if if God did create all things we should hang on his very his very words finding life and hope and peace and joy and above all delight in the words of God he created all things and he said he's promised to create he's created a new heavens and a new earth can't imagine what that will be like. But I can trust those words because I know that God's word is faithful. Why? Because he said it and because I've lived in this earth and I've seen his created order. And I cannot deny it. But the psalmist goes further. So, not only does the earth prove to him and should to us that God's word is settled forever. But in verse 92, he says, If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. This makes me think of Psalm 19, or Psalm 1. Right? Look, look there quickly with me. I know you all have forgotten how to turn the pages because I haven't been uh, doing much referencing lately, but Psalm 1, verse 2. It's just talked about how this man is blessed who does not do these things. And then it says in verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. So, Because he delights in the law of the Lord, he meditates on it. He's thinking about it. He's processing it day and night, continually asking the Lord, what does this mean? 
Why do you say this? And what is the result? Verse 3. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. But the opposite is true, right? The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. See the difference? The psalmist, delighting in the law of the Lord, that man who delights in the law of the Lord, he has constant strength. He doesn't die when the season ends. He doesn't go dormant and, and die in the winter or or when there's a, a, a drought or anything like that because the Word of God has become His delight and it, it feeds Him and it, it gives Him strength. So the psalmist is saying, if your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. What is he speaking to? Is he speaking to something that's going to happen? No, this is past tense, right? He's saying, if it had not been, I would have perished. So what is the next reason that the psalmist believes that God's word is settled in heaven? Personal experience. He has experienced the faithfulness of God. He's realized that God is creator, and he delights in his word, and he's spending time in the word, and it's keeping him alive. Right? He would have died. He would have been destroyed. That's what the meaning of this word perished is like. We don't use that very much anymore, but it's a destruction. Death. I would have died if God's word had not been my delight. So how does that delight change him? It changes him because because he delights in it, he's constantly meditating on it day and night. And this is not to be forgotten. Because many people say, well, I delight in God's word and I seem to be constantly destroyed. Oh, you say you delight in it. When's the last time you got in it? Oh, it's been a couple months. Really? Hmm. That doesn't sound like Psalm 1 to me. Delight creates action. It's not... You delight in something, you spend time with it. Do you think my wife would think I loved her if I said, you know what, I'll be, I'll be back in a couple months. But I just went on a trip for two months and then came back and said, oh, I love you so much. Well, one, she would be pretty upset because she'd have five kids without me around to help. But would she agree that I love her? I hope not. Because when you love someone or you love something, you delight in something, you want to spend time doing it or being a part of it, being with it. Right? Maybe that's falling on ears that are, huh, yeah, whatever. But I think this is true. Oftentimes we forget that delight creates action. And that action, we already know what it looks like. Because the psalmist described it in Psalm 1. So this is a, a good checkup for us. Do I delight in the Lord? Do I truly want to spend time in His Word? Or is it 
Oh, I'll, I'll get to it when I can. I delight in peanut butter, and so I have to be very careful. Well, this is a different story, but I have to be careful not to eat too much peanut butter. It's like my favorite snack. You know, put it on a pretzel or if the kids aren't around on an animal cracker, drink it with some milk. Really good, right? It's kind of hard to mess up peanut butter. But if you took peanut butter away from me for a long time, I would continually long for that peanut butter. When I lived in Guatemala, you couldn't get peanut butter for the longest time. And then when we went to Ecuador, there was no peanut butter, and the ketchup was awful. And it's amazing, when you have something you don't realize you like taken away, suddenly you start craving it. Right? I didn't realize I liked baked potatoes until I lived in Guatemala and I hadn't had a baked potato for like a year. Like, so thankfully we had a Wendy's in Guatemala and it was, they had baked potatoes with butter and sour cream, salt and pepper. And it was like, had that craving for that. I know that sounds ridiculous, but... Is that how the Word of God hits us? Is it, is it like honey? The psalmist describes it as honey. Is it something we long for, that we, we find delight in, so we, we want to go spend time in it? We want to know what it says. Because the psalmist is saying that because he delighted in it, he didn't perish. Why? Because he was in the Word and he knew what was true. Is it possible that the devil had been lying to him and if he had not known the Word and been spending time in the Word, he would have believed the lie in the midst of of the affliction? Very possible. Right? Because I think he remembered, and I say this because of verse 93, I will never forget your precepts. Why? Because he's meditating on them day and night. He's spending time in them. And it's remembering that, it says... For by them you have revived me, or brought me back to life, or given me life. And that's really important for us to remember. The reason we should not forget is because they bring life. Does the Word of God bring us life, or does it, is it just a burden? I pray not. I know, I know I've been preaching through Psalm 119, and you're like, this is the same as three weeks ago. I'm sorry. That's the psalmist. I'm, I'm not sorry, because this is what I want. I want to delight in His Word so much that when I am away from it, I begin to long for it. I begin to desire it deeply. Just like a chocolate addict when it doesn't get chocolate, or a coffee addict, when it can't get its coffee. For lack of a better word, we should be addicted to the Word. Go through withdrawals because we can't get to the Word. Because we're not spending time in the Word. This is not... Please, do not take this as an indictment on you. This is an indictment on me because I don't delight in the Word like I desire to, and I want to, and I know I should. 
And we all struggle with this. I know that. The, wor- the worries and cares of this world can get us down. And that's why it's so important for us to hear messages like this, remembering that God's Word is fixed. We don't, we don't have to be worried about the things of this world because we know that our hope is secure. Are we prone to forget what God has said? It may go back to a problem of delight. It may go back to a lack of action in making God's Word our life. How much do we memorize the Word of God? Is His Word settled in our hearts deeply? Is it constantly going through our lives? Are we constantly being fed the Word? I'm not just talking about preaching here. I'm talking about feeding and feasting on the Word of God. So the psalmist has experienced God's faithfulness. And then verse 94, we see him making a statement. He says, I am yours. What's he saying? I belong to you. Why? You created me, remember? For all things are your servants. Verse 91. You created me, so I belong to you. I am yours. You are mine. And then he makes a cry. Save me. Deliver me. For I have sought your precepts. Where do you think he realized that he belonged to the Lord? And that he could cry out for the Lord to save him? It was from his word. It was from seeking the word of God. That unfailing, fixed word. In verse 95, he says, The wicked wait for me to destroy me. And I I like to put before there, Though the wicked wait for me to destroy me, I shall diligently consider your testimonies. God, I'm relying on you. I have meditated on your word. I delight in your word. I am not forgetting what you have said. Because you have proven yourself to me. I see it in our world that you created. I see that you've been faithful from generation to generation to generation to generation. And though the wicked are laying a trap to destroy me, or it's interesting, in the Hebrew, it's a very vivid picture here. It's the evil one's hope in me. Or hope for me. Evil ones are hoping that he will come and fall into their trap. That is their hope. They just love destroying. These men are lying in wait. They're just waiting, just drooling, waiting for him to fall into their trap. But the psalmist is diligently considering the testimonies of the Lord. 
They're hoping in, in His destruction, and He's hoping in the Lord. He's not being like them, hoping that someone else will fail so they can succeed. They are hoping in the Lord. The psalmist sees that God's words are unfailing, never ending. And he makes a strong prayer to the Lord saying, look at your earth, I see it, you created it. And it's continued to be true from generation to generation. I've seen it in, your, in my life. I've seen your faithfulness because I delighted in your word. Because I haven't forgotten your precepts. And finally, he says in verse 96, he expands the faithfulness of God's word to extraordinary boundaries. He says, I have seen a limit to all perfection. I don't know how that's possible. But he has seen the end of all perfection. And he says, your commandment is exceedingly broad. On the Hebrew, it's, your, your commandment is exceedingly wide. It is full. And this expression in, in the Hebrew is the idea that the psalmist has not found an end or border to the commands of God. God's words are sufficiently, overly sufficient. They, they have no end. They're endless. There is nothing that God's word cannot touch in our lives. There's nothing that God cannot speak to through his word. This should encourage us. Not only is God's word faithful on the earth to continue the created order, not only is it faithful in the life of the psalmist personally, but God's word does not have a border. It doesn't stop at the U.S.-Mexico border because there's a wall. Or the Guatemalan-Mexican border. Or the whatever border you want to place out there. God's word is faithful no matter where it goes. It will never come to an end, and it will never meet a situation that it does not apply to. And this should encourage us that no matter what happens in our earth, no matter what happens in our nation, no matter what happens in this community, God's Word speaks to that. Now, does that mean He's going to speak exactly, that we know exactly you know, there's actual verses to apply that we know. No, we, we go to His Word and we dig into His Word and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. But God's Word has no limit. It is exceedingly expansive. It will not find an opponent that it is not wise enough to defeat. God's word can be trusted no matter the generation, no matter the place, and no matter the time. Because in heaven, that will be eternity.
Can you imagine the fact that in eternity there will be words that were never spoken before? Words that are new to us. That there is no end to His words. That His words apply over the earth, over the heavens, over all things, and it has no end. That's exciting to me. This should drive us to His Word. Because this Word, His Word, not only this, but His Word is forever settled in heaven. Do we believe that? Because if we don't, we might as well walk out and stop coming. Because if His Word is not settled in heaven forever, then we have nothing to stake our lives on. We have nothing to stand on. Because the foundations of this earth will fail. But the Word of God will never end. Let's pray. Father, help us to fix our hope in you and you alone. Not on the next big thing, the next super drug, or whatever it is that the world is proclaiming as the hope of the world. We need you, Lord, for you alone give the peace we need. Give us the delight of the psalmist, I pray. Lord, fill us with your spirit that that delight would overwhelm us. And Lord, if we are suffering from want for that delight, I pray that you would show us how to stir up within us that delight in your word. Help us to be disciplined. Not because we want to earn our way to something, but because we want to delight in your word, Lord. Show us how to make your word our delight each and every day. I pray this year we would be people who truly and deeply delight in the truth that we find in your word and that we would long to be in your word and long to speak of your word together and long to experience your faithfulness. Lord, we know you are true. We trust you and we trust you with our lives this year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.